<laughs> Welcome back to The, the Mentors. Mentors. Okay, this is Vadim and Sergey, and this is a show where we tell stories of ordinary people that became extraordinary founders despite lack of experience, money, or connections. And today on the show, we have the founders of Frost Gelato. Is that correct? That is. That is. Thank you, gentlemen. It's very uh, difficult to mispronounce Frost Gelato, Vadim. I don't, know, if, I don't know what you were well, thinking. Well, I'm a foreigner, so I'm allowed mistakes <laughs> like this. Uh, and you guys are basically a brother team. You've, you've known each other since what, second grade? That is correct. Wow. So and we're almost twins. You started your first business in third grade, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Lemonade stand. Nice. Actually, so did you guys have any sort of entrepreneurial ventures together as youngins? We did not. Um, we knew each other, obviously, since second grade, as you mentioned. Um, grew up together. My dad was our Little League baseball coach, so we always played around the neighborhood. Um, but went to the University of Arizona and just kind of hung out as friends, went to the bars a lot, <laughs> studied a lot. As you should do uh, when you're an undergraduate, and even after you've graduated, totally fine. But um, when did you guys start thinking about going off on your own? I mean, did you uh, talk about different business ideas when you were in college or in school? Or how did that idea even pop into your head that, hey, we're going to start a business together? Yeah, great question. I don't know exactly when it uh, came about, but probably junior, senior year when we were getting close to graduating, we started talking about what are we going to do with our lives. And I think we just talked about doing different businesses. Um, We joke now we have a, a kind of a saying that we had a lot of bird brain ideas that was from our family. Um, different things like mag- magazines, um, advertising ideas, and uh, it just it kind of came on a whim that we would start our own business. Um, it was my father's idea. I said, "Why don't you guys open a gelato shop?" After all the other terrible ideas that we were throwing around, and we, you know, it sounded like a great idea at the time. Um, you know, we were uh, young from Tucson. It's a hot climate, and we had previously experienced gelato traveling abroad, and we both loved it and talked about it a lot um, when we would go to. Vegas in college for fun. We'd always stop by the gelato shop there um, that they had at the hotel. So it made sense from a a standpoint of getting into a business. Everyone likes ice cream. Um, We felt with the climate in Tucson, it would be a good play. And that's kind of how we got into it uh, to start. And you guys started this shortly after you graduated, I believe in 2005, was it? Yeah, correct. I don't even know if I learned about gelato until after 2005, so it seems like the market has probably grown since then. Um, but what was your thought process? Did you did you think that you might get a job after college? Did you try applying? I mean, you probably had friends going off and taking jobs and, and making money. And uh, were you guys thinking of doing the same thing or not at all? Yeah, so uh, Stephen graduated in uh, four years, and then his family actually owns a business in Chicago. So he went out there, and then I took the four-and-a-half-year route stuck around an extra semester and then uh, graduated three months after that I got a job just selling advertising and I was really excited I'll never forget it was day one I got to wear a suit and I was like this is amazing you know I'm like a big deal now and uh, and then I'll never forget by uh, Thursday day four I was like this is terrible I can't do this so wow, only I, four days yeah it took I don't even think it took four days it took four days for me to call my parents and I said I got to do my own thing what can we do and that's kind of when the idea came to fruition and then uh, called Steven in Chicago and we talked about it and he's like, yeah, I'm on board. How do we how do we get this going? And we just started the process from there. So how long did you last at your job? When did you quit? Nine months. So right. um, it was it, it lasted longer than uh, I wanted it to, but it was a great experience. Um, we've gotten a lot of great advice from people that we've surrounded ourselves with. My parents were big advocates. They said, you got to learn on somebody else's dime. So I learned exactly not what not to do um, from my that first job that I had. And so I applied that um, to what we do now. What did you learn not to do in that ad sales job? 
Uh, great question. So I'll, I probably shouldn't say this, but uh, ho- hopefully they don't know where I worked. Um, I was selling advertising and um, we were allotted selling different packages to the University of Arizona sports program. And so um, we would go out and just solicit businesses. And then, you know, you could figure out whoever you could get, you could bring them in and then they would give you essentially a 10% commission of whatever you would get. Um, and then I was able to secure a pretty large vendor that nobody else was able to get. And then, of course, it was so big that they said, well, this category has to go into the sports program and it's out of your department. So they essentially took away more than 50% of my commission. So I just learned right away, this is you know just not right. Even people in the organization went to bat for me, higher ups, and they just couldn't get that approved. So I learned right away, it was just kind of a cutthroat business. And you know they were offering other people with less dedication, um, that were friends with you know people in the organization. They'd give them free clients, and then there's other people out on the streets, kind of just scrounging for the crumbs. So learn really quickly. You got to take care of the people that work for you because they're your they're the face of your business. Now the the gelato concept was the first business you guys actually tried, right? Yeah. Uh, you had other ideas, but it was the first one you put your foot forward. But you guys grew up around both of you grew up around entrepreneurs. Is that correct? Yeah, correct. Uh, Steven's family was in the sausage business. I'll let him explain that a little bit. It's a pretty funny story. You know how the sausage is made then? Yes, I do. <laughs> Literally. He's actually the sausage king of Chicago. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow, wow. Would you ever want to start a right? auto business right? you're the sausage king? <laughs> no, it's pretty interesting. Um, so my great-grandfather started a sausage uh, company in Chicago called Leon's. Uh, then it was passed down to my grandfather. And then my aunt uh, recently... Um, took it over a, a few years ago um, as well, and then she's just kind of sold the company. So one of the challenges that I had is I'm working for my family, third generation, you know, I'm the fourth generation essentially, and that potential of businesses unfortunately don't get passed down like they used to. You know, the third generation kind of has an exit strategy and a sellout strategy, which they've worked hard for and they deserve. So. I kind of saw the writing on the wall, you know, early on that, hey, I don't want to be 40, 45, and then they decide to sell and I don't have the opportunity to take it over uh, like my aunt did, you know, per se. So from that perspective, you know, when Jeff called me, you know, it was a tough decision to kind of leave the family business, but I saw long term that it was going to be the, the best opportunity for me and to start my own thing. So you guys thought of this gelato concept or your dad, uh, Jeff, your dad thought of the concept. Tell us what the first thing you did. Like your dad gives you this idea and now you have this idea in your head that the two of you are going to run a gelato business, even though you've never run a business before, uh, much less a food business. What was the very first thing you did that day or that week? Great question. So the very first thing we decided is where are we going to get the product from? And then we've got to make sure this is exactly what the authentic experience we had in Italy was. So we did some research online. I found a gelato wholesale company that would sell gelato to gelato shops and you could just buy it from them. I think they were out of Michigan. So we ordered this stuff. It shows up next day um, in the mail with dry ice. And I'll never forget our whole family had dinner and then we put all these little miniature pints on the table. There's like 20 or 30. And we all opened it up and we all had the same reaction right away. We're like, this is terrible. We all spit it out. I mean, it was bad. It was really bad. So we were a little, you know, shocked at what we were going to do next. Um, We did some more research, found out that there was a food show uh, in L.A. So we went to the food show and uh, 
there was these guys from Italy making gelato right there. I'm like, wow, this is unbelievable. This is exactly what it tastes like. Now we can see the behind the scenes of it. Um, they were a small supply company. We talked to them and that's kind of how we got the ball rolling. And then they had a facility on the East Coast that we were able to go to um, a couple months later where Steven met us and it was myself and my father and we got to spend two days at their gelato university making gelato. Hmm. And it was a, a pretty cool experience. And at that point we were at the airport leaving and my father said to us, is this what you guys really can see yourselves doing? We said, yeah, we were having a, a blast at it. I wanna ask you guys also what it took to get it started, how much it costs and everything to get it started. But I think I read somewhere that one of you asked your grandfather for some funding and your grandfather had some words of wisdom. Uh, he asked you this question. Do you remember what that question was? Yeah, so he uh, asked me, is this something that you really, really want to do every single day? And he said, you know, if you look at the mirror, you know, do you see yourself doing this every single day? Because this is, if I'm going to do the investment, I want to be assured that you're all in and, and that's what you want to do. So it, it really was what I wanted to do. I wanted to start my own thing and I wanted to, you know, give my hand at it. And the nice thing about you know, my grandfather and Jess family and everyone that, you know, we've kind of surrounded ourselves with is, you know, they, they've all led us down this path of if there's a problem, you can always work through it. And they've always put us in a position to, we find out later that, you know, behind the scenes, they kind of talked about the risk. And, you know, my grandfather and Jess father kind of, you know, had that same thing, but I still had to ask for the money. You know, and that was one of the hardest things to do is ask a family member for money um, because it, it's something I'd never done before. I'd always kind of just done my own thing and then had to go through that process. And you weren't afraid of losing it? Not really. You know, we were fortunate from the get-go that the support that we had, we kind of had that we're not going to fail mentality. Mm. And we had gone to this Gelato University and we had, you know, kind of done all the right steps to get it done. Jeff's father, as we were opening the shop, said, we were originally going to open with two cases. And he said, no, you guys really need a third. We're like, where are we going to get the money? And we've got to make more gelato to fill all of these cases. So there were a lot of little dynamics throughout the process that, you know, we listened to what people were saying and just weren't like cavalier. Um, we know best type mentality. We really listened to the input uh, that the people gave us and kind of adjusted the business model. And right before we opened, you know, everyone's like, you guys don't know what you're doing. You have no idea. You might want to call somebody to help you come out for two weeks. Um, so we made a phone call to the supplier and the supplier said, oh, there's this guy, Nazario, who kind of helped you guys training. He's not doing anything. And, you know, do you want to give him a call? So we pick up the phone. We call him in Italy. Uh, and he's sitting there and he remembered us hmm. and we said would you ever want to come to Tucson to help us for two weeks and two weeks turned into three months and three months it turned into a year we kind of got him a work visa and now 14 years later he's kind of in the room here with us but um, you know he's the our secret weapon per se when it comes to producing the most authentic gelato that we can he helps us with all of our ingredients coming in from Italy and kind of is there on site to make sure that we're doing it the right way. And we were probably too naive to realize what we were getting into at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Well, they say that that's actually the best <laughs> way to go <laughs> right. into it because if you knew all the problems going in, you probably would never yeah. uh, get started. But we joked that Nazario wouldn't have picked up the phone if yeah. he could go back in time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Well, uh, no, I mean, I, and I think there's a lot of wisdom in what your grandfather said. You know, a lot of people don't think about the the day to day. On the one hand, the the ignorance for an inexperienced first time entrepreneur is great because because you don't know the pain yet of the difficulty of running a business and any business that any entrepreneurial venture is going to be hard. So in some sense, that's a good thing, but. It's good to understand what you're going to be happy doing, what you're not going to be happy doing. Uh, Vadim and I have run a software business before, and we realized we don't really like building software. We can do it, but we don't really want to do it. Uh, and it took us several tries at a business to find a business that we like. So I think that's a really insightful question that your grandfather uh, asked us. And the fact that you guys took it seriously, as far as the quality of the product, that you weren't just going to go with the first supplier that you found. You learned how to make it yourself, and you uh, decided that you're going to make the first several batches yourself. You've called Nazario in Italy, and now he's sitting here in front of us. In fact, he just served up some of the um, uh, some Are we of do the, the taste test now? gelato. Well, it's melting, and I and I can see the pain in in Zario's eyes of the fact that it's melting <laughs> uh, because we need to have it before it melts. So we're gonna try it here. He brought you some straws. <laughs> so I have it. this is the salted caramel truffle. Mm. That's right, and I'm having the um, toasted butter. coconut creme brulee. Wow, and actually. Mm. Well, I'm not even. I'm not exaggerating. Sergey, you keep on talking while I finish eating this. <laughs> it, wow, uh, this is amazing. It tastes exactly like the flavors that it says on there, unlike some even ice cream flavors that you can get. And I understand that uh, is gelato actually healthier for you than than regular ice cream. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. So it's uh, half the calories and eighty percent less fat. We wow. don't use any raw eggs and less than one percent cream. So the butter fat content's three to eight percent. Gelato doesn't exceed eight percent, whereas ice creams ten to twenty five percent. Have you guys had requests for like vegan gelato? Yeah, so all of our sorbets are dairy-free and fat-free, so essentially they are. Um, But yeah, people come in all the time and ask for different flavors that they want us to create. And we'll create anything for anyone. Um, Nazario always says, whatever you put in the machine, I can guarantee you will come out that way. Wow. Um, But you actually almost hit our motto uh, kind of on the head is that um, essentially it's going to taste better than it's supposed to. That's the key. Wow. That's very cool. Okay, so you guys went to Gelato University, which is the first time I ever heard. Is, are they an accredited institution? Oh, uh, yeah, you get a diploma and everything, a piece of paper. I mean, I think they print it out, but it's uh, still a diploma. Uh, that's awesome. And then you called up Nazario. Nazario, you agreed to uh, to join them for two weeks. Is that right? Yeah. That's right. Um, and, and then so- stayed for three years. So <laughs> you guys did something, 13 right? Years. Uh, well, and, yeah, 13. Uh, but then what was... What I'm trying to gauge here is obviously there's a lot involved here. You obviously got the talent. You have the recipe right. Um, you have to the now scout for the location, right? Yeah. And sort of how did you go about doing that? I mean, you knew you want to start in Arizona because of the climate. But, you know, we interviewed a coffee shop that's based in New York, the Coffee Project, for the podcast a few months back. And that's literally the biggest source of pain in the very beginning is finding property, finding somebody willing to lease you the, the, the space. So what about that? I mean, was that sort of a really painful? Great story. Yeah. Um, it is all about location, location, location. Um, my mother has been in real estate and has done an amazing job over the last 30 years. She's kind of the realtor in Southern Arizona. So she was the one that naturally just was gonna do the site selection for us. Mm. Uh, Steven and I were uh, guns a-blazing for opening in LA and my father lived in LA for 10 years uh, a long time ago and said, you're just gonna get lost in the hustle and bustle. Mm. You gotta start in Tucson, you're from Tucson. And you know, we were young and dumb. We're like, no, we wanna be in LA. And so they, they convinced us that Tucson was the place um, obviously, in hindsight, looking back, they were 100% correct. Um, one of your parents ever wrong, I guess. So uh, my mother started looking at locations, and she took us over to 
uh, an old historic uh, shopping center in Tucson. We both knew of it growing up. It was called the Casas Adobes Plaza. It was kind of the intersection that connects um, the newer part of Tucson and then, of course, the foothills where it's the nicer part of Tucson. And so we kind of stuck our nose up. We said, oh, Casas Adobes, that place is a dump. I mean, it was great in the 80s, but this is, you know, 2004. So she took us over and they were doing a lot with renovating the shopping center. And so there was a new restaurant, a pizza place that had just opened up that had a line out the door all the time. And there was an empty space next door. And so I was like, you know, okay, whatever. So we went back home and told my dad about it, called Steven. He told his grandfather, who also knew of Casas Adobes. And we, they all said the same thing. Oh, that place is terrible. So really? there was a new shopping center in Tucson at the time called La Encantada. It was like the outdoor lifestyle um, center with all the nice stores, your Louis Vuitton, your Apple. And we said we wanted to be there. And the, the rent was astronomically high. So we looked into it and it was crazy. It was like $100 a square foot. Those were like LA numbers at the time. So there was a great spot, but we couldn't get in. So we went across the street to a really small strip center and we looked at it. Um, we didn't really like it, but we kind of put in an offer on a space. And then um, my mother said, you know, you guys got to go back to Casa Adobe. So she took me over there again. We ate at the pizza place. I saw the crowds. We went outside and uh, one of the things that she's taught us is to visualize. And so we stood out there and she's like, I want you to visualize people walking out of the door from the pizza place, going next door and getting a gelato. Hmm. And so she's like, you gotta visualize, you gotta understand the demographic. Um, you know, there's a lot of families. Uh, her whole thing is foot traffic, strollers and restaurants. And that's kind of what all this center comprised of. And then, you know, we were talking about the, the different demographics and of course, a group of what we call in Tucson are snowbirds, obviously people from Chicago, New York coming out, spending the winter time. And there was two couples come outside and they're talking and the guy looks at uh, the, the three of them and says, let's go get some ice cream. And my mom hits me on the shoulder and she's like, that's a sign from God you're going in here. And I was like, okay, wow. sold. So we actually followed them. Um, we got in the car. <laughs> we wanted to see where they would go. And we knew there was an ice cream store across the street. So they actually made a U-turn and then went across the street in kind of this busy intersection. It's the busiest intersection in Tucson. And uh, it was funny because we had a, a family friend who's, own shopping centers in Tucson and he said people will not drive to an ice cream store and it was kind of funny to see that these people were making a u-turn so wow. called Steven and uh, his grandfather and we kind of told them and they all agreed they loved the story and that's how we started our very first uh, shop now um, how long did it take from this idea to opening the actual shop it took about a full year okay. um, we started talking about it in May went to a food show in August and then we went to Gelato University in about October and then we actually found this location and started negotiating a lease in November. How much did it cost if you don't mind sharing to open that first location and then and how much did you end up raising in investment uh, to go toward that? So the first shop costs right around 450,000 for us to build out. The majority of the investment came from uh, my grandfather and Jess parents as well are the two original investors and then uh, we got some kick in money from the landlord which was definitely helpful uh, one of the things that we learned negotiating leases up front is something called tenant improvement allowance is the money that a landlord will give you to add fixtures to the space or improve a certain space so that was something definitely that you know helped us over the edge I think we got close to eighty thousand dollars Mm. Uh, from the landlord to put into the project so definitely a nice little you know bump for us in terms of what we had to raise to turnkey so about half a million dollars how long did it take to actually open the store 
It took about three or four months to do the build out. Um, as Stephen mentioned earlier, one of the most unique things that really was detrimental to us succeeding or not succeeding was we originally designed our store with two gelato cases. And then in March, we were planning to open in May. We set up kind of a makeshift design of what our store would look like. And my father and Stephen and I were there and we had these cardboard boxes that essentially represented our display cases. Hmm. And he's like, guys, this just doesn't look like you're going to need three. And we're like, what? You know, these things are like $30,000 a piece. I mean, A, we're at budget and now you want us to go over budget. Plus it takes four to six months to get over here on a boat. And we're, you know, a month and a half, two months away. And then on the top of it, we have to make a third more production every single day. And, you know, how are we going to do all this? And he's like, we'll figure it out. But just trust me because every ice cream store you go into has two cases mm. and we need this to be the wow factor and so when you walk into our stores now and you walk in you have that wow factor you have three cases it's almost like willy wonka's chocolate factory it's endless you don't see the end of the product it just essentially goes on and on and then the nice thing too is that it's curved it's a three 30 degree cases that make a 90 degree curve oh. and that's something that you really don't see all the ice cream stores always have the straight case you walk up to it um so if it wasn't for that decision that probably wouldn't have been able to put us in the position we are today um, then the neat part of the story is that we ended up having to sh overnight the case on an airplane wow so it was like an additional five thousand dollars just to ship this thing overnight wow. sounds like you guys got some really good advice uh, along the way and presentation is so key in things like this. So you mentioned that, you know, you, it was difficult for you, Stephen, to ask for the investment because you've never really asked for anything before. A lot of people, actually, a lot of first-time founders or any founders, really, will raise their first capital from friends and family. That's honestly just the way it is, unfortunately, for, for folks that don't have friends and family that can make investments. Certainly, there's other ways you can find funding. But especially when you're dealing with family, how do you decide how much equity you're going to give into for in exchange for this funding and how you're going to even approach that conversation because I'm sure it's kind of difficult to have. Yeah, it was a difficult conversation. The nice thing uh, going into it is my grandfather had kind of allowed my aunt to take over a business. So it wasn't the first time that a family interaction when it came to business was taking place. Uh, with that said, though, you know, there's a lot of different agreements that are not you know, in paper that we have with, you know, our different families that have given my half and Jeff's half. So it was all done on a promissory note, pretty simple. Um, my grandfather was a big proponent of being interest-free, which I remind, since my grandfather's passed away, I remind Jeff's father as. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then, you know, like on Jeff's side of his 50%, he kind of has this unwritten rule that his sister gets 25% if we sell for something big. <laughs> so I always joke we're going to get to this point where we get this huge offer. It's not going to be enough for Jeff, so I'm going to have to take over half of that 25% <laughs> just to get the deal through. So we'll cross that bridge when we get yeah. there. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, there's a lot of different dynamics, but I, I think, you know, when you make a commitment to your family, it, it's more than the commitment that you want to make to a bank. Like, you don't want to let your family down you want to make sure that you know they've worked hard for this money and you know it's kind of like your shot at you know making something grow from there so you guys opened up your doors four or five months later you made the decision to have three cases and really create a brand around this that was unique and differentiated did you do any additional marketing for the launch was it basically you relied on the foot traffic that was already there how'd you make sure that you're going to make back that investment quickly yeah, it was all based on the location, um, the foot traffic, and we could see we open. Our goal was obviously to open in the spring, early summer, and you could see the traffic building in the center. Mm. 
Um, when we were under construction, we just had your typical barricade sign up, and that drove a lot of um, excitement into the community. And then, obviously, once we opened our doors, we were fortunate to be as busy as we were. And for us, it's just about, you know, people are going to come back if the quality of the product and the brand is exceptional, and that's exactly what happened. Can you share how much, uh, how many customers and revenue you were making on a daily basis? Let's say a month in. When you, right? yeah, when you, when I, I don't even started. remember because we didn't sleep for the first four oh, yeah. months. Um, Nazaria will tell you the first night, it, it took us so long to get going. I think it took us over 24 hours to make the 38 pans that we house every day. And we were sleeping until like 4 or 5 a.m., literally on the bags of sugar while the machine is beeping in between each flavor. Wow. Um, but we, you know, we were doing a lot. We were easily serving anywhere from 500 to 2,000 people a day which we still do today on a daily basis in any location. Obviously, it depends on the time of the year, um, but we were doing very well. And it was neat just to see because a lot of people always would come in and they would ask us, oh, are you from L.A. or from Miami? I mean, it was so foreign to Tucson and kind of above what people were used to at the time of you know a business and a trend in Tucson. Hmm. So you guys uh, focused on quality. Obviously, we're very dedicated. We can see why. Uh, there was success that you relied on people in your network that could help you out, like your mother with scouting the location and telling you to go through the process of visualizing it. I think that's really important and getting past the hump and the doubts. But you guys had a plan to build a big brand, I think, from the very beginning, right? And within three years, you were franchising the location. So talk us through kind of how you got to that point and when did you feel confident enough to start letting other folks open up the franchises? Yeah, I mean, our goal, I think, originally was people ask us this question a lot is, like, how did you think you were going to, what point would you get to? And we always, I think, thought of, yeah, we'll hopefully one day expand on a regional level, like maybe throughout Arizona and into California. Right away, as I mentioned, you know, this thing took off and people were asking us, oh, you should open in this city or that city or, you know, are you franchising? So we would get this via email, telephone call, or just people coming into the store on a daily basis. And it was probably five to seven requests a day, every wow. single day. So it, it took some time. Um, we started looking into the franchising probably a year or so after we opened and just to get an idea of how do you franchise. And talking with different people, you needed several locations before you, you, know, you had to prove yourself essentially. So as we were expanding in the market, we said, well, we need to open a couple more stores in Tucson, make sure they're successful before we start franchising. As we were doing that, we started looking into just what it would take to franchise or open up more stores outside of the market ourselves. And simultaneously, we did both. We started looking in the Phoenix market, um, and then we started looking through franchising. We met with a franchise attorney just to get kind of a rundown uh, of how it works. And then he brings this, it looked like an encyclopedia, and it was like the old franchise book for McDonald's. <laughs> and he's like, this is an operations manual. You need one of these before you get started. And we were just like overwhelmed. So. We, we kind of sat back, uh, talked amongst ourselves often and decided, how are we going to do this? Are we going to go the franchise route? Are we going to go the organic growth through our own company? And we just felt at the time it would be more conducive to expand uh, quicker through franchising. So we started working on this operations manual that essentially tells you how to do anything in our business from changing the trash to mopping to making gelato. And that took us about two years, and we opened up two more stores in that process, and then we started opening it up to franchising. Our goal was to sell one franchise in the first year, and we ended up selling three in the first six months, and we wow. were ecstatic. And then we kind of capped it at that, and we said, all right, you know, right, we're so involved in the quality of the brand and the product. we got to make sure that we can continue this. 
and uh, not compromise the, qu- the quality. So uh, we focused really on opening these three locations and then opened it up from there. So how did your day-to-day change once you uh, created the franchising opportunity? I mean, obviously, you're still running the three, was it three base locations? Yeah. Uh, but now there's other folks running around with your brand. So how did that change? It actually changed um, from store one to store two. We were essentially, our families told us to create an advisory board. And that's what we did. And we got people all from the community, even people from outside the community that we knew that were involved in all sorts of businesses that we would have uh, yearly meetings and we would talk about, you know, expanding. And when we went from store one to store two, uh, one of the uh, advisory board members said, you got to understand you're not going to be in the ice cream business anymore. You're going to be in the people business. Mm. And we kind of had that same reaction is that we had to learn how to manage people and then obviously delegate and grow the business. And how are we going to do that? And so that's what we understood, and we kind of took that to heart and applied that to store two and store three, and then it led into the franchising. And now all of our focus is, you know, a lot of it is on the growth and the support and obviously just, you know, the logistics behind it. Have you had any failed locations that were franchised out? We have not. And what do you think determines the likelihood of success of that? Is it the the location? Is it the people that you kind of grant the opportunity to? Combination? A combination of everything. Jeff likes to say, you know, when somebody buys a franchise, you know, you bought a ticket on the Orient Express. So get on the train and go for the ride and kind of enjoy it, but kind of do everything that we explain to you. One of the things that we, when we take on new franchisees is, you know, we've been doing this for 13 years, but they still have a little entrepreneurial spark to them. So they like to right off the bat say, hey, we think we should do it this way. You know, nine times out of 10, we've done it. A different way or tried the same way that they're describing so we always tell them why don't you go through our system show us how you've used our system and then show us how your system is better and there's been cer- certain circumstances where you know new flavor ideas or new suggestions have definitely come from our franchisees but really you know understanding the importance of the systems and dynamics behind the, the scenes will kind of get you to why the success is there, how to develop that customer base and build a relationship with people who want to come in multiple times a day, bring their family, whatever it may be. Well, speaking of actually uh, how somebody might make it their own, you guys have 16 locations now, a couple in Kuwait. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm curious, how is it different there where obviously there's cultural differences, maybe people perceive gelato differently. Uh, Is it a whole different animal? You know, it's interesting. The great thing about our business is that ice cream is everywhere in the world. No matter where you go, everyone's eating ice cream. And that's one of the reasons we got into it. Um, Culturally, yeah, there's a a lot of differences as far as uh, food-driven and, um, you know, what works there may not work in the U.S. And we've tried that kind of going into it knowing that this isn't going to work here back home where it worked in Kuwait. Um, One of those is they they have an item called the Lotus Special, and it's essentially like the Bischoff cookies. And then they melt the butter down and then pour it on top of the gelato. And it's out of this world. It's very wow. rich. And we uh, we had a market where we wanted to try it here in the U.S. And we knew it wasn't going to work as well, but we wanted to try it anyway. And uh, sure enough, it didn't work just because they love everything that's beyond rich, that you can pour more stuff on top, that's on top of that, and then on top of that. So I would say from like a sweetness factor, they love anything that's just decadent and rich. And from a with these franchisees, is there a standard percentage of revenue that you that most franchisees end up keeping, or how did you guys decide on that? And what is that percentage that you get to keep? 
Um, so we work just based off of a 5% royalty. And then unlike a lot of different franchises, what we decided to do is when we looked at our distribution and the products that we were dealing with, the only thing that we're requiring our franchisees to purchase from us are the ingredients directly from Italy and then anything logoed because those things in mass quantities, you can get the most competitive pricing. So outside of that, we allow our franchisees to get local produce, local dairy, and you know local cleaning supplies, which is unique to the franchise system because the first thing the franchisor, which is what Jeff and I are, is to control every aspect of what's being purchased and try and take a small little piece of each little thing. So rather than doing that, it's more effective and cost effective for the franchisee to get it locally, we understand that. So we just kind of take the 5% uh, royalty and we, you know, it's pretty transparent that that's really where we're making the money. And I think, if, correct me if I'm wrong, it was what is $550,000 to start, or it was back in 2009 to start a location? Yeah, I mean, it, it works on a range depending on the location, the size, and things of that nature. But yeah, turnkey is you know right around 500 to 550 for most franchises. And what do you get for that? For that, you get the turnkey. You get um, eight weeks of training in Tucson with us. You get our staff out at your location for two and a half to three weeks before the opening. Um, and you know, basically all the knowledge and systems that you need to op- open and operate a store. And has that price tag changed over the last nine, eight years? It's changed, but based on the new cities that we open. So one of the biggest challenges that we've had is in Austin, when we opened our most recent store, the energy efficiency needed to be engineered into our plans for a simple gelato store are beyond what you would expect. So just the glass alone, you know, was $100,000 for that store, the storefront. So you get into certain circumstances or cities where the local code and how to build things dictates the price outside of what you really need to operate a business. So another question uh, that I want to ask you guys is, I know that you've known each other since grade school, you grew up together, you consider yourselves, I think, like brothers, I, I've heard it said, or I've read it said in a couple of articles, and uh, and you probably spend more time together than many brothers have. How has your working relationship evolved since you started, and how did you make decisions on who's going to own what in the business, and who's going to own what decision-making process in the business as well? Yeah, I mean, we get along very well. Obviously, we have our disagreements and we'll fight like brothers. But, you know, we're essentially an extended family, but pretty much family now. We go on vacations together. Uh, Steven's my uh, son's god godfather. Is that right? <laughs> like the movie? Did I get that right? That's right. Uh, so we... Um, you know, we, we've gotten along. We've only grown closer together, probably. But uh, as far as the decisions that we make... Um, we fell naturally into our roles, which was great. Uh, Steven's more of a numbers guy, and I just fail miserably <laughs> at math. Um, I'll never forget. I couldn't even get into the business school at the U of A. It was orientation, and my mother and I were there, and they were talking about business math, and we looked at each other, shook our heads, and just got up and left. No. <laughs> so I was a communication major through and through. So I just naturally fell onto the sales floor. Um, I love talking to people, and Steven was in the back creating different recipes with Nazario, and we would both transition and overlap, but we just naturally fell into our roles and still to this day he's crunching numbers and i'd rather be out of the office in the store just talking to people 
What's one big decision? It could be year one or it could be year 13 that you've had to make where uh, there was disagreement, where you guys had to work for a while to come to a resolution for that decision. Can you think of one? I'm sure there's more than one. Right? <laughs> no. There's actually not too many. Um, one of the things that I think that has helped us is Jeff talked about the advisory board that we put together, uh, and we also kind of have our family behind us as well. And we kind of have an unwritten rule. If we disagree on something, we kind of open it up to hear suggestions. And whatever the majority says, we usually go with. That's really allowed us to make good decisions, not only with franchisees, with locations and things of that nature. Because, you know, there's been two or three franchisees who've had the money to open locations and multiple locations. One of the first uh, deals that we were presented with was a five-state, 50-store deal. We were really excited. We're like, yes, this is amazing. They flew in on a private jet. We're going to retire instantly. Right. <laughs> Here we go. We're only six months into franchising. <laughs> Somebody wants to really do it. And, you know, with the advice of them, they said, don't get too excited. And, you know, really, we, we understood the dynamic of we asked the guys who were going to do it, well, who's going to run it on a day-to-day basis? And they didn't have an answer. Hmm. So it's kind of like that's not what we're about. So anytime we you know, have a franchisee that's interested, we do something what's called Discovery Day. And that's where a franchisee comes in, sees the front of the house, the back of the house, and they really understand the dynamics of the business. And for some people, it's overwhelming. And they say, oh, you, we saw the lines out the door. We didn't know we have to make it and all the things behind the scenes. We just want the line out the door. But during that process, we interview franchisees too. So there's been a few franchisees who have had the means and ability to go forward with the concept, but we've had to make that decision. You know, they're not the right people. They're not the people that we want to be in business with, or we see the writing on the wall. This is going to be a babysitting job or we're going to be babysitting this franchisee and, and doing things that we don't want to do with the brand. So and we have to agree with it. So if one of us doesn't agree with that or anything else, then we pretty much don't do it. Mm. Okay. I like that. So you created a process where you have veto power, each of you over big decisions, where you have to come to an agreement. I think that's smart. Yeah. And I think the reason why you guys have had success and haven't had any failed franchise locations is because you are meticulous about that process. I'm assuming if you let those guys run with 50 locations and 25 closed, right. that's not good. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> so then what you guys are at 16 locations now, obviously, have figured out the recipe, the brand. What's next for Frost Gelato? Our goal is to get to at least 25 to 30 and then go from there and see where we can go. Um, we get the same amount of requests, if not more, on a daily basis. Huh. Um, there's some stores that we want to open ourselves in key markets like the heart of L.A., uh, Vegas, maybe a, a New York location. We've even uh, casually and a little more talked with Nazaria about opening a gelato shop in Italy. Hmm. Um, what better to bring gelato to the U.S. and then back to Italy. And validation and, if it and, works there, right? <laughs> absolutely. And we have so many amazing stories of customers coming in saying, we were just in Italy and your product is just as good, if not better. And they wow. pretty much agree with the latter. They're always saying that our product's better than anything they had in Italy. Uh, we have a really neat story where a customer years ago, even before we started franchising, uh, came in with a friend of hers and they were out to lunch and she was telling a story. She said, oh, let's go to Frost. And she's like, have you been there? And she's like, oh, I've been there a lot and I got a great story for you. She was in Italy walking into a gelato shop and on the way out, people were walking out. She overheard these random people saying this is not as good as Frost. Wow. And she, she stopped them and she's like, excuse me, what? And so they had a really good connection. They just had both been to Tucson before and tried our product. 
What a cool story. It comes full circle from the time where you went on vacation and I think your dad snuck out to, to go get yeah. some gelato <laughs> and you know, 13 years later or however many years later you hear this story of someone in Italy talking about how your product in Tucson, Arizona is better than the original. That's very cool. You guys have an exciting story. You guys have built a, a brand, I think, through a very deliberate process. You cared a lot about quality, which I think is really important. And most of all, where you had gaps in knowledge, you seeked to get advice from family, friends, advisors, and people that were better at, at certain things than you were. And I think that takes a lot of humility and is super important. So selfishly, I overheard you say New York. Is that potentially in the works? Who knows? Not yet, but uh, the the 24 hours that we've been here, we're pretty convinced we need to do a store here. Now, are you worried <laughs> about the seasonal aspect of it? You usually open in warm locations, right? Typically, yeah. But we have a couple stores in Illinois. And then, obviously, you know, people love ice cream year-round. Right. So we have uh, different unique warm drinks as well that we offer. So it's a year-round business. Well, if you ever need taste testers, uh, we already did it today, but we're happy to do it again with your new flavors. You're in venture capital, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. So. All right. Talk to us after. Free, free gelato. Free gelato. We'll need a lot of testing to validate this. Steve and Jeff, thanks a lot for coming on the show. Really excited for what you guys have already been able to accomplish. Hoping to see some locations here in New York. And, of course, hoping to follow your story and see more success to you guys. Thank, Thank you for having us. Thank, Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you.